1-888-331-1210. That's how you get in touch with Joseph Webb, founder of Webb Ministries. If they want copies of the book, Joseph, where can they go before you answer Tracy about polygamy? Yes, I appreciate that, Bev. First of all, if they want to find out how to get it, they can get on the Internet on www.marriagedivorce.com. And they'll go and go to the index, and they'll find my book listed there, and get to my homepage, and have directions as to how to get it. But if they if they will write to me by snail mail, to Web Ministries Inc. <laughs> Web Ministries Inc. Post Office Box five two zero seven two nine. That's five two zero seven two nine Longwood. That's one word. Longwood, Florida. 32752-0729. Now, if they'll do that, the book is 270 pages. The price of it is $12.95 plus $3 for shipping and handling, which is $15.95. If they will put a note in that with that check to us and tell me that they've been on the Bev Smith show, and that's where they heard me, I will add to that a $5 tape free, a teaching tape, a 92-minute teaching tape on what the Bible really says about marriage and divorce. Now, quickly, because we want to take as many calls as we can, this whole idea of polygamy. Yes, the interesting thing is when uh, the New Testament church was established, one of the first rules was any woman who had had more than one husband could not be in leadership. She could not be taken in by the church into leadership to, to uh, like a deaconess in the church. And it said that no one with more than that had more than one wife could be uh, a deacon or a pastor in the church. So all the Old Testament principles of the Mosaic law had to come to a stop. And that's why it said there in Acts thir- uh, seventeen thirty, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. The, living, the amplified version of that says, such former ages of ignorance of God, it is true, ignored and allowed to pass unnoticed. But now he charges all people everywhere to repent. That is to change their minds for the better and to heartily amend their ways with abhorrence for their past sins. Uh, when Jesus Christ came, he was Alpha and Omega. That means A to Z. He was God's total expression of God's perfect will. That's why he said, you have heard it said that you could leave your wife, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, whosoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. Not his wives, his wife. And you see, the problem is today we're talking about birth control when God's talking about self-control. Most people don't know that in the Old Testament, when God was dealing with Israel in the wilderness, he told that the, the men that they were not to have uh, conjugal relationships with their wives during, the period of their, during their period at all, and for five days following that, and then they could have relations. So you're talking about five, ten, anywhere from five to thirteen days of the month, they were not to have relationship, uh, marital relationships with their, with their wives. And then, after that, they could, but that'd be the most uh, fertile time for the, for the wife. And then they could for the rest of the month. But today, if you tell a man, you know, only about 12, 15 days out of the month. He'd look at you like you were crazy, Joseph. That's exactly right. See, God wants us to learn self-control. So, but for women, because when we look at the adultery records, we're not saying that women don't commit adultery. We're not saying that. But we're saying the higher numbers are around men. So that when you're teaching minister, when you're teaching professor, 
where it and we notice that in a lot of the laws that are written by men they address the behavior of the women what about the addressing the behavior of the men because if we look at long marriages when i go out to speak to women it is the women who stay in those marriages regardless of adultery and the like it's the men who run out and play around, in for the cases, most part. In most cases, you're right. And let me go back to the society again, Bev, and tell you that when you take children and put them in school and tell them they came from, they, they originally came out of the swamp, grew legs, grew and, and grew, grew a tail, and went up in the, like the old saying, once I was a tadpole so long and thin, then I was a frog with my tail tucked in, then I was a baboon in a coconut tree, and now I'm a doctor with my Ph.D. If you teach that to them, and there is no God, and they, you teach them to act, I mean, if, if there's no God and there's no right and there's no wrong, and then they tell them to go out and, and be decent. What is decency if there's no God? They come through that, and all the way through, they promote with one another of go out and get your share of it. Now, it, and the problem is, if you don't have a stable home life, the next generation is going to be worse off. We need to go back and begin to establish homes where fathers and mothers are training and teaching their children biblical principles of self-control, not lust, but love. But who's going to train the men? Because if you look at the books out on the market, all of them address our behavior. Women, this is what you could do. I mean, Cosmopolitan Magazine wouldn't even be on the stands. They make all their money telling you how to attract a man, keep a man. But when I look at Esquire, when I look at GQ, and I do, I subscribe. When I read Sports Illustrated, and I do, we're going to talk sports next week, I don't see articles written for men on how they can control themselves, how they can be better fathers, how they can take responsibility. You're absolutely right. That's why, Bev, I keep telling people, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Those books are, those books are, promote, are out to promote for us to be able to do what makes us feel good. God's Word teaches us what teaches us what to do what is good for us. One eight 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 three three one one two one zero. Steve in Philadelphia, thank you for being so patient. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Bev. How are you? All right. How are you, Bev? Fine. I'm glad to hear that. Dr. Webb, I called to introduce a socioeconomic perspective into the discussion. I hope you will not tell me that the existence of public assistance programs, the existence of social security systems, uh, are themselves responsible for this instability, when actually it is the brutalizing nature of this type of system that we have in America, this type of support system that we have in America, that is responsible. And that's what I wanted you to comment upon. Thanks, Thank, Stephen. Thank you, Steve. uh, okay, Joseph? Steve, if, if, if I were to blame the socioeconomic economic, uh, situation in the United States for the immorality that we have in this country, then the worst time of uh, the highest rating of divorce and and adultery and so forth should have taken place in the United States during the Depression. But during the Depression, this nation, I mean, most of the people were out of work and they couldn't find a job. You couldn't buy a job. But our divorce rate didn't go up. Actually, those hard times drew people closer together. <clears throat> more people went back to church because our, our nation at that time was founded more on the Word of God and biblical principles. What's happened today, there are people who do not have a foundation upon which to build. They do not have truth. So they don't know, in other words, that uh, as a man, you're to, the Bible says if you don't work, neither should you eat. And so consequently, when a woman starts picking out a man, she needs to understand what the, the requirements are, not just that I feel good and I love him, 
but will this man, should this man be the father of my children? And if they don't do this, see, again, all we're talking about is the flesh. Oh, I feel so good. I just love, I mean, he just is so sharp, and he is, he's a football player. That has nothing to do with it. We have to find out and have a, make a quality decision who we marry ahead of time. Now, I'm not, not judging people, and I'm not condemning people who haven't done that. You can't do what you don't know, but that's the price you pay. Someone said, if you think education is expensive, try ignorance. If people do not know the truth, then there's a price to be paid. And when we turn away from God's eternal truth concerning righteousness and justice, loving, honoring, and cherishing one another, and the responsibility of taking care of our responsibility as a family, that's the deterioration. And consequently, yes, they begin to feel more insignificant, and they don't realize that God loves them and God has a plan for their life. So they go out and they trash their lives, and the family falls apart. But the thing that you said as we go into this break that is so important is the way we choose our mates. That's right. And we live in such a materialistic world. I mean, I'm doing a series of workshops for women beginning in October, and I'm telling you, when you talk about the women and the way they got married, our parents told us ways to choose men. It sounds like you're telling us those same old-fashioned ways again. Is he a good man? Does he come from a good family? What are his intentions? Where does he work? Where does his family work? Where does he go to church? What does he want to do with his life? Instead today, women, what kind of car does he drive? What about, I mean, if my, if, um, thank you, Jesus, my daughter's grown. Because if she bought home a guy with all that gold in his mouth, yeah. I'd have a fit. If she bought, and he could be a great guy. You couldn't get in my house with my father if you wore your hat to the table. That's right. And women accept anything from men these days. So we have to talk about that because they do. You're right. We make those decisions you're so right, Joe. We call them short-term decisions with long-term consequences. And they do have long-term consequences. Yes. Back to callers right after this. Talk with Steve. Let's go to Marie in Tennessee. Marie, welcome to the show. Hello. Praise the Lord. Hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> you sound so far away. Let's, let's see if we can get her. S say something again. Yes. That's better. Okay. Can you hear uh, her, Joseph? Yes. Okay. I want to thank you, Beth, for having this subject, um, for addressing it, because it is such a very important subject. And uh, is it Dr. Webb? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yes, uh, thank you also for writing this book, because it is such a very important subject to write on and expand on. And I'm thankful for the title, Till Death, because the Lord did put us to death do a part in we a lot of people change uh they marry for the wrong reason well wait a minute she just said something joe and let's let's uh, look at this the actual vows that we take are not god vows they were written by man well they were inculcated because of what the scriptures has to say i had someone bev say to me one time uh the woman said uh, i don't want to have to say that i will submit to him and uh, obey my mm -hmm. husband. Will you uh, take that out of my marriage ceremony? Mm -hmm. I, I said, yeah. no, but I'll, I'll help you find a pastor that will, but I won't. And why not? I said, because the Bible says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and the Savior of the body. And then it also says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. I said, do you want your husband also to have me take out that he's going to love you and cherish you? 
Do you want a Bible? Do you want a biblical marriage? Do you want a marriage that God's going to honor and be pleased with? Or do you want to do something where you'd have your own will and way? Well, they went ahead and had me say what, what God's Word says. These phrases that are in our marriage ceremony have been taken from biblical principles. Mm-hmm, yes. yes. Okay, your question, Marie. Well, I don't have a question, but I wanted to talk about, uh, mention about the importance of taking marriage uh, seriously because people marry for the wrong reason. They don't, uh, marriage is a vow, and as he said, until death do us part. And there is too many marriages in the churches today. And if we would go with the word where it says in Proverbs 3 and 5, to trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding and lean not um, in, in all, all your ways, ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge him, and he shall direct that path because we're going on what we want and not what's letting the Lord lead us to the person. Because he knows us, he knows our wants, our desires, our everything about each of us. Okay, he, Marie. When we pray and ask him to lead us together, then that's what he will do. Okay. We, let's 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 make. Thank you, Marie. Thank you for that, Joe. Let me take what she just said and make a question out of this. Yeah. I'm looking at the way we choose. I'm still stuck on that because I think that's an excellent point that you raised. The way we choose our mates. And especially with young people today, you know, younger men, they're choosing for the shape of a woman and all of the things that really don't make up a woman. Outside things, not inside things. So we're making all of the wrong choices. And then there's this very casual thing, well, let God send you. How do you know? How are you able to test? Is there biblical thermometers that allow us to measure is there a biblical measuring stick that will allow us to test whether this person that we are looking at that we have asked to marry or agreed to marry whether they're the right person or not well you have to look for character qualities to them i mean not not are they good looking are they bad looking or whatever rather the character and that's what when when paul talked about those that are going to be pastors for example they should be the husband of one wife. They should rule their house well. Their children should obey quickly and quietly. They should have a good reputation in the community. Uh, it reminds me of the girl that told her mom and dad, see, you just don't even know how to judge character. This guy I'm going with, you don't like him, but do you realize he did 1,500 hours of community service last year? You know, that sort of thing. They, they, they don't know how to make judgments on people. And, and they can't, children can't do that if parents don't teach them, if children don't study the Word of God and find out what are the quality characters. All right, suppose I am innocent. <clears throat> I am a 25-year-old woman, innocent. No one has ever shown me the way. No one's ever talked to me about the way, and I'm getting ready to get married. The man that I married, the two, uh, the, uh, my fiancé, we go to a minister. He doesn't show us the right way. He doesn't counsel us the right way. It's wedding day. It's zero time. I am there. I have committed myself. And then two days into the marriage, I realize, uh-oh, 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 wrong move. I am still condemned. Bev, you see, the, the, here's the, the problem we're running into. The premise is that the preacher is going to be blamed. Somebody else is going to be blamed. God says, I have given the Word of God to you, the total revelation of God's will. And he said, study to show yourselves approved unto God. I've always told my member, church members, don't ever say the pastor said. If I say something, you go home and make sure it's right, and then come back and say the Bible says. And if we don't understand it, God says it is an open book test, and that's what I'm going to judge you by is the Word of God. And this is why I keep telling people, you must 
get into the Word of God and understand it. They say, well, I read it and I don't understand it. And I tell them, well, keep reading it, because babies eat baby food, and they don't understand it either, but they still grow thereby. Keep reading it and keep find, trying to find biblical principles. Now, Bev, this is a terrible thing to have to say today, but I almost warn people, be careful about going to pastors today, because let me go back and tell you where the, where the problem came in. I told you the first 15 centuries of the early church, they all only had four positions, and it was marriages for life, and to divorce, you can divorce, but if you remarry, it's adultery. In the 1500s, a defrocked Roman Catholic priest, that was during the time of the Reformation when Martin Luther and John Calvin were living, he came out of the church and all of his works were burned by the Roman church. He, became, he befriended King Henry VIII of England, who wanted to divorce his wife of 28 years. He married a second wife and had her beheaded. And his daughter was Bloody Mary, so it gives you an idea who, she, who he was. But Anne Bolin, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. and uh, he, during that time, wrote a new theory concerning our, our position concerning marriage. He says that if a couple doesn't love anymore in, uh, each other anymore, then that's grounds for divorce. So, so for adultery, they can get a divorce, and for abandonment, they can get a divorce. Now, that was called the Erasmian view. Some of the Protestant reformists coming out of the Roman Church wanted to be different from Rome, and so they swung too far in the other direction, and they picked that up and started carrying it along and began to call it the traditional Protestant view. Today it's called the Matthew-Pauline exception theory. Now let me tell you, this Martin Luther said of that man, have nothing to do with this man. He was an enemy of God and his word. He died without light and without truth. He, he treated Jesus Christ as a court clown, and he stirred up the basest passions of little boys. This man was a pedophile, a sodomite, and today in the university libraries he's called the Prince of Humanists. Prince of Humanists. And our pastors today in the pulpit are saying the schools are full of humanism, the government's full of humanism, and they're preaching pure humanism through the pulpit when they preach this Matthew, this Matthew Pauline exception theory. I call it the five-word school, except it be for fornication. Now let me just quickly say that word fornication is different from adultery. It's pornia, and adultery is moikia. And all Jesus was saying there in Matthew, written to the Jews, it's not in Mark, it's not in Luke, but it was written in Matthew, that because Matthew was written specifically to the Jews, and they had what was called a betrothal period. And during the betrothal period, Joseph and Mary were betrothed. They said, Mary, the wife of Joseph, they called him husband and wife, but they were only betrothed. Mary, the wife of Joseph, being betrothed to him. Joseph, the husband of Mary, being betrothed to her. And then he thought he, they found her with child. He thought she had committed not adultery, but fornication. And he was going to quietly divorce her. The disciples understood exactly what Jesus was saying to them. Jesus was saying, the only time from now on that you can get a divorce is during that time of betrothal if you find that your partner has committed fornication. And betrothal, is that the same as engagement? It's it's much much more serious than, for example, if you get an engaged couple today, if they want to break up, they just break up, and sometimes they'll give the ring back, you know. But back then, you had to literally go to the Sanhedrin and get a legal divorce from the betrothal. But they called them husband and wife while they're betrothed. In fact, clear back to Sodom and Gomorrah, when a lot was in his home, it was required by law, if you took in visitors, you had to protect them with your life. Well, the Sodomites came and tried to break in and get those men that yeah, had come in. Yeah. And he said, don't do this horrible thing. Here, take my virgin daughters. Well, now, wait a minute. He only had two daughters, and he said he had two sons-in-laws. Oh, deep. How could he have two sons-in-laws? Uh, and have two daughters that were virgins. That's right. Hold, hold that point. For, this is, see, we need, we need him in an auditorium where we could just question and question. We'll be right back. 
Let's go to John in Atlanta. Let's see. Good morning, John. How are you? Good morning, uh, Mrs. Smith. Uh, good to hear your voice. Uh, I spoke to your, I think, your capable producer to let her know that I was traveling and getting your, your broadcast. Unfortunately, at home, I can't get you because the signal uh, is such a, a weak signal. But uh, I actually just sat in my vehicle the uh, last couple of hours just to uh, chat with you as well as uh, I send greetings to uh, Mr. Webb as well. Thank you. Uh, I like to, oh, certainly. I'd like to make a couple comments, and I'm not here to disparage uh, Dr. Webb's uh, research and study. However, I'd like to make a couple points uh, just, just to lift up in somewhat of a contrast. I think it's important, uh, Dr. Webb mentioned hermeneutics, but it's also important to do proper exegesis of the Scripture. Typically here in the West, we utilize a Western view uh, and a Greek a perspective in exegeting the Bible instead of the original tongue of that time, which is Aramaic, Hebrew, Arabic, and then it was translated into Greek. Now, people who can argue with that, but there's documented evidence of that fact. And many of the things that we talk about, we have interpreted uh, the Bible from that Greek perspective into English. The one thing that Dr. Webb mentioned that uh, one scripture, he said, study to show thyself approved, but the, 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 the C clause of that scripture, it said, rightly dividing the word of truth. I would have to disagree with the doctor that every word in the Bible is not God's word. There are many things that scribes at it. There are many things, as you mentioned, Paul. Paul wrote letters to the different churches, and, and many times, of course, he was, I'm, I'm sure, inspired by God in many aspects, but as many ministers today they intermingle that with opinion. And I think there are many things in Paul's writing, albeit a lot of it's good and, and wholesome directive instructions, many of it I would suggest is opinion. And one other thing I'd like to add before I leave is that, that, that many uh, of, the, of the Bible, as, as you mentioned earlier, there's a scripture in the Old Testament, and I, and I know many preachers don't like to deal with it, but it is ascribed in the prophet, from the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord said this, the Lord said in 3 and 8 that he said, And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. This is, this is the words attributed to the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah. So indeed, the Lord is ascribed. Uh, uh, because of Israel's behavior of, of writing a bill of divorce. And originally, in the Old Testament, the bill of divorce was written in protection of women because women were being killed, put away for frivolous reasons. I don't ascribe to people simply getting married divorced just for play, play sake, but I think it is crazy to suggest that if a woman is getting abused, getting venereal diseases by her husband, that she is to maintain that order. Because in Paul's letter, he says, and I'll close on this, that above all, I, I, I wish that you be Could prosper, be like me, yes. yes. Prosper in good health, yes. even as your soul prosper. Yes. Your soul cannot prosper in that type of cantankerous environment. So all due respect to the doctor, I would, I would commend him to read some of the Aramaic to get maybe a little deeper interpretation. But I certainly appreciate what he's doing. I think he has a, a good heart and is moving in the right direction. But I would, I would ask that he supplement that. And, and, Bev, I love your show. Unfortunately, again, I can't get you as much as I like, but I, I felt tonight that the Spirit led me to stay in that car for about two and a half hours 
to listen to you, and I, I'm, I'm better by it. Thank you so much for participating. Uh, Joe, you want him to stay? Can you stay on, John? Oh, yes. All right. Oh, sure. All right, because I want to hear the dialogue. Uh, let me ask you this, John. Are you a minister? I am not a minister. I like to just consider myself a student because I, I was like uh, Dr. Webb. I was in the traditional uh, Christian way. I was taught that way, and I was taught just like him. You can't divorce, and if you do divorce for any reason uh, and remarried again, that was a sin. But as you mentioned earlier, and you corrected the, the young woman that called in, it is the statute, the legal statute that talks about until death do us part. That is not in the Bible. Mm-hmm. That is a man's code. Of, that's man's codification of law that we have intermingled in the Scripture. Again, I say, I believe you should have a covenant relationship, and a covenant in anything you do, you should try, you should strive that. But to me, it is horrendous to suggest to the women who are abused, who, who have men who are philanderers and bring home diseases, uh, to, to, to suggest that they must stay with them, or even if they leave, they, they, they cannot they're, re- they're recommit. There's no way. All right, let's hold that point. Hold up, and I have to take a break. I called it condemned, and I want to hear Joseph's awfully quiet. Let's hear what he has to say to our caller, John in Atlanta, after this. I know we're going to have to have Dr. Joseph Webb back because our phones are lit up like a Christmas tree. We're almost out of time, and I do want to hear what he has to say to John. Okay, Joseph, go right ahead. There's a lot to cover here. The first one is concerning his position on Scripture. The Bible says that men of God in the old times did not write what they wanted to write or what they were thinking themselves, but as they were led by the Holy Spirit, they wrote. And they didn't write that it was not of, of, of personal revelation. It was where God himself spoke to them and through them, and he wrote the scriptures. And, of course, Paul backed that up by saying that all the scriptures God breathed and it thoroughly furnishes us to all good works. He also spoke in Jeremiah chapter 3 when he said, God said, and I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. And he stopped there. But John, you've got to read all the rest of it, because down in chapter 12, God is married to Israel. He gave her a bill of divorcement because she was committing whoredoms and adulteries. But in verses 12 and 13, he says, Go and proclaim these words toward the north, says the Lord. Return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, for I will not cause mine, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you. For I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not give, keep anger forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity, that you have transgressed against the Lord thy God and have scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree, and turn, O backsliding Israel, for I am married unto you. Not I was married, I am married unto you. He is still married to him, and he's never sought another wife. Now, when it comes to the vow or the covenant we've been talking about, just let me quote two scripture portions to you. The first one is found in, in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 23, 21, and 22. When thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack to pay it. For the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be sin in thee. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee. That which is gone out of thy lips thou shalt keep and perform, even a free will offering. In the Living Bible it says, once you make a vow, you must be careful to do as you have said, for it was your own choice and you have vowed to the Lord your God. Okay, now suppose I say, and we only have exactly a minute, I don't know how we're going to do this, which means, Joe, you have to promise me you can come back, and John, I'm so glad you sat in your car and waited because you've got our juices flowing. But if I decide to get married, which would probably be the biggest thing that you've heard in the news in a long time, and I say in my vows, these are my vows, and I take these vows, and I say, I promise that I will do my best. 
I promise that I will give my all to this relationship. I promise I will not hurt you, and I don't want you to hurt me. And then I say, I make these promises to you right here under the eyes of God. And if at a point we can no longer live as one, I promise that I will freely give you freedom. Now, if I make that vow, does God respect that vow? There is no vow there. That is what you're saying is I want to live with you without any commitments, without any, nothing to hold me in, nothing to bind me in. A covenant is where both people are obligated. They used to have what they called a salt covenant, where you take salt out of each other's pouches and put them into the other person's pouch and shake up the pouch, and whenever you could get all this, your salt out of the other man's pouch, the covenant would end. But it obligated both sides to that covenant. And if you don't have that obligation to each other, then you're living in fornication, and the fornicator will go to hell just as fast as the adulterer, the Bible says. Well, we are out of time. Oh. And I just hate that we're out of time because I have so many more questions. And I've got so many more answers. I <laughs> know you do. So that means you'll have to come back, right? I would love to. Boy, uh, did this go quickly? It went by so fast. And you've been on for a good while, and we appreciate that so much, Joseph. Well, this has been a real, really a very fine time. And again, I want to compliment you. You you do a terrific job. Thank you. Thank you, Joseph. God bless you for your work. And I'm going to have my people call your people so we can book you real soon and I'll let the audience know. And what we'll try to do is we'll bring you on earlier and keep you on. As a matter of fact, I think what I'll do when we book you is not have any other guest. That'd be wonderful. Because I'm, I'm going, by the way, I'm going to be on WRD. Uh, oh, on the Word Channel. Good, good. Next, next Wednesday. Good. Because what needs to happen is we need to examine, and the way I took your book, not only those intimate relationships, but marriage is a broader term. We need to look at all of our relationships. That's right. And the way we treat people in all of our relationships. Absolutely. Yes. That's Thank why you. the Bible says love one another. Yes. And, and it doesn't say orange, green, or white, young or old, rich or poor, skinny or thin. God's colorblind, and we should be, too. I think so. God bless you, Joseph. Thank, Thank you, you for being with us, and we'll get together real soon. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Good night now.